Glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas to me so you can keep more of what you have. Our website's clark.com and clarkdeals.com. We're working so hard seven days a week to give you information so that you can make the best financial decisions going forward and also at Clark Deals, where you can find deals on the stuff you need. So there was a story that happened in Missouri that became a big national thing and a big flurry about it because a Japanese steakhouse in Missouri started adding a coronavirus surcharge to people's bills. And people were, to say outraged, doesn't even begin to fit it. So the restaurant did it because they said that they are having a huge number of additional expenses. And they wrote to their customers that it's only a temporary solution. They're charging people 5% extra as a coronavirus surcharge. So the thing is, restaurants are just one category of businesses that are facing enormous additional expenses because of coronavirus. And a lot of places printing, in the case of a restaurant, going to the expense of printing all new menus is something that maybe they don't want to do. And restaurants are holding on by their fingertips, except for those that were set up originally to be uh, very oriented towards carry-out or drive-through or whatever, everybody else has been really, really just eaten up. So doing it in the way this Japanese steakhouse did obviously was not a crowd pleaser. I compare it to when you go to a website and they have free shipping, how people will click to buy, even if another place has the item you're buying a lot cheaper even when you add in the shipping charge we're just so oriented to the price including shipping so in this case with a restaurant having a coronavirus surcharge was a bridge too far for most people but know that restaurants are going to be in a tough tough spot as their costs have gone up with some of the requirements as states have reopened and allowed restaurants to reopen they're paying rent on the same square footage they already had but are in most places very limited how many people they can actually seat if they are doing things where they're doing curbside pickup there's a lot more potential effort involved in packaging sit-down kind of food in-to-go containers having somebody who's running them out to the vehicles and things like that. I mean, this is a situation for the restaurant industry that is a crushing of normal demand and an increase in expenses at the same time. That's why the estimates out there range wildly. But I'd say if you look for a consensus, it would be somewhere around a fourth to a third of restaurants that are independently owned will not survive the tumult 
of coronavirus. So I think we are going to see uh, more things where in some categories that are service-oriented, we're going to see prices rise. In others, that's not really going to be the case. So it will vary from circumstance to circumstance. To circumstance. And then there's this thing, I don't know if you've seen this because it got a lot of publicity in Southern California and and Central Florida where Disney has parks in the United States. But there's a new liability waiver when you buy tickets to one of the Disney amusement parks that basically says, hey, you know, if you come here, you might get sick and we're not responsible for coronavirus. And to me, it's a very reasonable thing for them to say. And there's an ongoing debate going on in the Congress about what is the liability of a company to its customers or an employer to its employees. And people want clear rules and they want to know when they would potentially face liability and when they would not. And in order for us to have as much commerce going forward, you have two things. You have to make your employees and your customers feel comfortable that you have real procedures in place that are actually being implemented and consistently followed. And you have to have that. And then the second thing is I think it is reasonable that if a company maintains a premises that follows the health standards being recommended by a state public health department that or whatever the equivalent is in each state that they would have a certain amount of safe harbor from being sued every possible way because that's necessary for business owners to have the confidence to reopen and we're alternating your questions with producers kim and joel asking your questions and kim who do you have this is from Nikki in Florida. Nikki writes, thanks for all the great information. Friends have been known to roll their eyes at me when I answer a question with, well, Clark says, moving on. We photograph large canine events across the country, and we have made and paid for airline tickets for several of our team members to fly to events that have since been canceled. Now we see it would have been better for us to wait until the airline canceled the flights, which they have at this point. We have credits slash vouchers now, but my questions, any chance at this point we can still get a refund? And also, I made and paid for the flights with one card at one time. Are these vouchers just for me or for each person that I made a flight for? Generally, an airline ticket is not transferable, and you've got two situations you've got to navigate. One is since you, on your own, went ahead and canceled the flights and received the credits that typically are for two years, you need to call back to each airline, explain the circumstance that the flights ultimately were canceled by the airline themselves, and see if they will make a refund to you instead of leaving you with a credit. Second aspect involves the normal procedure where the credit is only usable by the individual named on the ticket. There is some give on this with some airlines, and you may be able to have the benefit of those credits 
personally for well personally for your business rather than assign to the one individual who was originally booked for the travel but this is totally up to each airline how they're going to play this and by the way you may get a different answer calling an airline more than once so if you get somebody who's really not interested and in being of help to you say oh no i've got to go take this call from my doctor or whatever you say i'll call back another time and then call back and hope you get a different person who is more accommodating to you but this is one of those wild west kind of categories where there is no one procedure for every player and a lot of it is how they treat you individually at each airline the person you talk to and how flexible that individual airline is being joel clark paul in ohio says what are your thoughts on taking social security at age 62 i'm 59 currently retiring in three years and i'm moving to mexico we have a small retirement coming and we'll be selling our home also i don't want to work anymore so a huge percent i think somewhere perhaps maybe 40 percent of people take social security at age 62 and that leads to a great reduction in the amount you'll get from social security for the rest of your life and a certain amount of this is guessing because the later you wait the more your money is every month for the rest of your life and your cost of living adjustments that typically occur in most years we may not have one this year but that occur in most years are set on the higher base of you waiting um, I would look at and it's a guess how long people tend to live in your family that have come before you and if you were blessed in your family with significant longevity it tends towards you delaying as long as you can taking Social Security because the break-even point of taking Social Security early versus late is typically in the in your early 80s and we have a huge percent of people who make it in their 60s who live well into their 80s into their 90s even beyond in larger and larger numbers so the more that you can delay the better it is for the back half of your life but if you have very poor longevity in your family and you want to have that income coming in at age 62 I'm not going to tell you not to do it. In addition, living your retirement in Mexico will be much, much lower cost. And you may find that even the money you receive at age 62 is enough to support your lifestyle if you spend the remainder of your retirement years in Mexico. Kim? Susan in Wisconsin says, I received a stimulus check for $2,400, assuming it was for my deceased husband and I. My husband passed in August of 2018. Well, I'm very sorry you lost your husband. Should I wait for the IRS to ask for the $1,200 back, or should I go ahead and send the IRS a check for $1,200? And if so, how do I do that? So there is a procedure we have at Clark.com for sending the $1,200 back. The IRS is expecting you to do it on your own and not wait for them to come after you. You know, this is something that changed significantly from early on till now is that early on there was, uh, there was an assumption that when the IRS paid money for the stimulus that they weren't supposed to, the Treasury paid money for stimulus they weren't supposed to, 
for a deceased individual or a child who had gone past age 16 that you would just be able to keep that money and then the the IRS guidance came down strong as could be that you have to pay that money back and so I would not wait for them but just don't send a check there's a procedure you need to follow so they know why they're getting that money back. Joel? Clark Robert in Florida says, you mentioned that we should use a credit card at the gas pump. Is using my debit card as credit giving me the same protection? No. You only have that protection using a credit card for this reason. The problem is credit and debit cards are equally at risk of being compromised pay at the pump, and that's because gas stations don't have to implement the proper security at their pumps for many, many years after regular businesses. I think it's next year is when gas pumps have to be compliant. So the difference is if a credit card is compromised, pay at the pump, no money leaves your hands. It just leads to charges that you dispute with your credit card company. On the other hand, with the debit card, even doing form of payment as credit at the pump it doesn't change the circumstance that if someone has captured your number, they're charging up as if they're you, but it's not a charge posting to a bill. It is a direct debit from your checking account, which is why using a debit card in any case pay at the pump is extra, extra risky. When you have a question for me, post it at clark.com ask, and then producers Kim and Joel alternate asking your questions Kim, who do you have a question from? This is from Matt in Georgia. Matt says, I want Clark's advice on manufactured buyback cars. These cars can be purchased significantly under market price and seem to have little or no issues. Is it a good deal or a recipe for disaster? So buying a Lemon Law car is something I used to get questions about in very large numbers uh, 10, 15 years ago when vehicles were much less reliable than they are now. It is a rare remedy that someone takes advantage of a manufacturer of lemon law buyback that is required in the various states. There's a procedure where if you're having a problem with your vehicle, you can force the manufacturer ultimately to buy it back if you jump through all the right hoops. And so it is an ultra-rare Thing today, which means I would be even more nervous today doing a vehicle that's been through a Lemon Law buyback unless you know specifically what it was it was bought back for. If it's something that you're like, you roll your eyes and you can't believe somebody uh, did a Lemon Law claim and it's so minor, like something that's cosmetic or something that really doesn't matter to you, then yeah. Go ahead. But if you can't find out why that vehicle was lemon lawed, I wouldn't do it. Joel? Clark Michelle in Connecticut says, my daughter will be a freshman in college two hours away in the fall. If her college goes online, would it make sense to go to the local community or state college instead and transfer to her original choice when they resume regular classes? It would save us a lot of money doing it this way. Oh, yeah. I mean, I I feel very strongly this way. And particularly if that school a few hours away is a private college, this is a do-or-die thing for private colleges because why would somebody pay 
private school tuition where you're paying it for the the greater attention and smaller classrooms and all that that you have when you don't have that advantage if the learning is online i would definitely take advantage of an opportunity to go ahead and do the fall at a local college with their online program versus a distant college with an online program why would you pay them the extra money and a lot of people that are already in college are going to take the fall semester off if classes are online for that same reason wonderful to have you here on the clark howard show where it's about you learning ways to save more and spend less and don't let anyone ever rip you off our websites are clark.com and clarkdeals.com i want to tell you something that's very important to me and that is that this show is all about giving you knowledge so you can make better decisions with your wallet in your life and so you depend on me to give you reliable good actionable advice and guidance and there are times you'll hear me and you'll think what is wrong with Clark that he's lost his mind praying to me and I want you when you feel that I didn't deliver for you with solid good advice or information I want you to go to clark.com slash clark stinks and post where you feel I didn't serve you well and then others can read what you post they can comment on it agree disagree and then right here on clark stinks you get to hear our show version of your comments you posted online i should have never encouraged you to speak you must think i'm pretty stupid you should be ashamed of yourself well maybe i'm wrong maybe i'm wrong maybe you're right pal all right Clark, you ready for this? Ready. Okay. First off, this is from Jimmy. He says, I may be your biggest fan, but you really do stink on this one. You don't usually cook at home. You of all people. I used to eat out like you do, but now not only do I save so much more money cooking at home, the food tastes better and it's healthier. Perhaps one blessing in this crisis is that you'll make a habit of starting to eat at home. One tip. The Instapot makes cooking very easy. My girlfriend thinks I'm a gourmet. Spoiler alert, I am not. Also, from another show, you were using the phrase, where's the beef? And mentioned it was a catchphrase from the 90s. Actually, that was from the 80s because Mondale used it in his presidential campaign. I was five at the time, but even I know that. Thank you for that correction on time. So it was in the 80s, not 90s. Um, My wife has become a huge fan of something called an air fryer, which is like her best friend now. And uh, I used to be her best friend, but now I think the air fryer is her best friend that she has discovered is we're eating so much more at home. And when I fix my own food, it's not going to be better for me. And in fact, I am so incompetent. I'm not even good with a microwave. I was cooking a can of soup by the instructions i poured it into a microwave safe bowl set the timer as it called for for four minutes to cook it and it's cooking in the microwave 
And then all of a sudden I hear an explosion and the soup, I mean, it was a loud noise. I don't know how soup does that. And soup went everywhere in the microwave. It was a uh, potato soup. Oh, man. I had to clean and clean and clean. Joel and I are dying over here. <laughs> so, I mean, there are people who have a natural affinity and ability to cook. I have a natural affinity and ability to eat food that others have prepared. So it's the one part of my life that shows lack of lack of good judgment and how I handle my money. You know, you expect me to be extra thrifty. But not when it comes to cooking. That's a good story, Clark. Thank you. All right, let's get to the next one. All right, Peter says, oh, the irony. Clark loves Costco because it is cheap. Clark is no fan of Russia because he believes Russia is trying to destroy the U.S. economy by selling oil cheaply. Just because Russia is the world's low-cost oil producer shouldn't give them the right to sell oil below the U.S. extraction cost because it will put our companies out of business, according to Clark. The problem is that this is the essence of free market capitalism. If you can put a competitor out of business by producing a cheaper or better product, then you do it. Just as Costco has forced the closure of thousands of retail establishments by undercutting them, and just as U.S. energy producers forced higher-cost energy players out of the market when we flooded the world with fracked oil and gas. I thought you loved the free markets, Clark. Wonderful point. All right, so... The Russians knew the world was drastically oversupplied when demand fell off a cliff for oil, for the products oil generates, gasoline, diesel, jet fuel. And so the Russians did this specifically to try to take out Canadian oil producers and U.S. oil producers as, uh, using coronavirus as really the catalyst well, it backfired on the Russians, and the Russian economy is in steep dive right now, steep decline, because their economy was so heavily dependent on oil revenues, and so it ended up being almost like a murder-suicide action. It has devastated the U.S. oil industry and has caused hunger and other problems in the Soviet Union. Uh, Soviet Union, oh man, in Russia. And so this is one of those things where uh, Putin was trying to cause serious problems for the United States. And that happened, but it turned out to boomerang and cause extremely serious economic problems in Russia. So yeah, I am a huge free marketeer. The angle here is Putin specifically is interested in creating a new empire and part of it was to weaken us and instead he's weakened us and them. Kim? All right. This is from Craig. He says, Common Clark, you are such a hypocrite. You rail about the monster banks giving priority to their existing customers, of which I am one during the PPP loan process. What a strange concept. My bank did reach out to me, and thankfully, I didn't need the assistance. In times like these, the technology and manpower of these banks come in, comes in handy. I'm sure when you walked into the credit union, they gave you a nice hello and how do you do and knew your name, but I'm sure that's about all they could do for you. 
Thank you for that post because actually things worked out very differently in the second round of the PPP where the loans overwhelmingly have been done by small local community banks, credit unions, and non-traditional lenders like PayPal and Cabbage and people like that that are part of the non-bank sector. The big banks have found themselves now subject of investigation because several of the big banks specifically helped uh, publicly traded companies and very large entities try to cheat under the rules of the payroll protection program and qualify for these huge multi-million dollar PPP loans and soaked up all the first batch of money, the first round of money. That's why a lot of publicly traded companies have rushed under the safe harbor window to pay back the loans they never should have gotten in the first place that they got just because of a massive ethical and moral problem at the big banks. The fact that you don't qualify as a publicly traded company or a big entity and your banker at a giant monster mega bank came to you and said, hey, you want to do a PPP loan, that's, uh, that's fine, but that's not what the banks are under scrutiny for. It's for behaving in a way that was unethical, if not illegal, to help companies this was not designed for to access the PPP money. Joel? All right, Clark, this one comes from Doug. He says, you shouldn't hint, even gently, that plant-based impossible meats are a healthy alternative to meat. The jury is not only still out, it really hasn't even begun deliberations yet on this one. A CNET article on impossible meat concludes, eating a plant-based meat substitute a few times a week probably won't hurt you, just like eating beef a few times a week won't hurt you either. Fake meat is best treated like real meat. Use it as a protein source, not as a substitute for vegetables. I agree with that completely. Um, I hope that I have not indicated in talking about uh, Beyond and Impossible and their competitors that somehow magically their processed substitute meat is more healthy for you or less unhealthy than eating traditional beef. I've just said that I really enjoy the taste of an Impossible Burger and when I'm given the choice of both on a menu, I prefer getting an Impossible Burger to traditional real meat. But um, in the time of shortage that a lot of us are experiencing trying to buy real meat, it is a viable alternative to try one of the uh, fake meat products and you may decide, like I did, that you prefer it to the taste of real meat. But in terms of it being healthier, it's processed. These things are processed very heavily. So I don't know that they're necessarily better for you. Kim? All right. This is from Gabe. Gabe says, Clark, you took a call from an emergency RN who had to use her PTO for mandatory quarantine time due to COVID exposure. You stink because I know your stance on unions and know that it's never been particularly favorable, but I can't think of a time in recent history when the labor movement has had more critical rights for workers and workers' safety needed to be watched out for. Unions have been fighting for PPE, for hazard pay, and for fair treatment at a time when non-union workers are left to fend for themselves and face massive layoffs. 
a very well thought out post. And when you hear me talk about unions, I know that people are supposed to talk about things in absolutes. And I really am a mixed message person about unions. I, I've seen the benefits of them. I've also seen how they can uh, actually hurt economic activity. So in the example that you give in terms of health and safety, that's an area where unions really shine. And in the current situation, a worker who shows up at a place of work where they're put in danger in a medical facility and there's no safety equipment available, that worker doesn't have any power in that situation where a unionized medical staff does have power that's respected by the employer. And so that is absolutely true what the poster said in this case. Joel? Clark Mark says on a recent show, you suggested that it is more prudent to purchase gold shares via a fund rather than take physical possession of the precious metal. This can be a dangerous suggestion as gold was confiscated by the U.S. government during the Great Depression in the 1930s. If this were to reoccur, the shares of the gold would be confiscated and the investor would wind up with nothing. I would suggest only purchasing physical gold and storing it privately. In this way, the ownership of the gold would not be known to the government and therefore could not be confiscated. I think that requires um, a fear of government fiat that I don't believe exists. I, I think the gold is so widely held today that it would be so remote a possibility that the government would run around confiscating people's precious metals, gold and silver, that I don't take that as something that is a threat of any note. And the problem in this case is that when you buy directly holding actual physical gold or physical silver, the markup you pay is so enormous. And when you go to sell, the markdown, the spread is so great that you end up losing a lot of your hard-earned dollars that you put in to buy that gold or silver. You also have to figure out how to store it and hope it doesn't get stolen. Where with a fund, it is stored for you. You buy it very efficiently at, at almost no markup at all to the marketplace, and they store it for you in their vault where you own a portion of what they have in the vault. So I just greatly prefer a fund over the physical holding of silver or gold. I know it's a psychological thing for a lot of people to have the actual gold or silver coins, but I don't recommend it. I appreciate all your posts and the variety of them as well. When there's something you hear from me that just doesn't ring true or right to you, please let me know by posting at clark.com slash clarkstinks. When you have a question for me, please post it at clark.com slash ask. Producer Joel has a question. Clark, Anthony in North Carolina asks, uh, just to, well, actually he has a suggestion. He says, I'm not sure if it's ever come up before. I have a few credit cards with zero balances that I need to use once in a while so the big meanie banks don't get mad at me. I set up a recurring charge donation with my local food bank. I wondered if you might suggest this to others. It would make a huge difference, especially in these trying times. By the way, keep up the good work. 
that is really kind of you and very clever to set up a charitable donation with a back of the wallet card so that you keep that card active and it means you're much less likely to have the bank cancel your card. This is a two for one because you're also helping your fellow American. You know, demand on food banks is up 70% right now over historical numbers. And that donation you're making is very needed right now. Kim? Raj in Illinois says, oops, sorry, restart. Justin in Illinois says, it's crazy to think how politically polarizing a virus can be. I want to stay informed, but I want to do so from an unbiased source. I only have time to read one or two news sources. Which ones would you say are the most unbiased for information? That is a, that's a great question. And I'd say that instead of reading a traditional news source, read a public health source like the CDC that uh, the CDC itself has played a very background role with coronavirus, which is very unusual. Usually the CDC would be the most prominent player in this, but at the very least, there's very, very good information available from them. You could also try some of the major medical centers around the country that are putting out information on coronavirus and what you need to know i would stay away from any television at all to try to get any real information because it's so tainted by us being in a political year and the news being uh having political influence on it and so the more you can go to medical oriented sites directly i think the better it's going to be If you want to learn more about finance and also read information I believe is solid on coronavirus, get a subscription to the Financial Times. I think they do the best job explaining in layman's terms how coronavirus is affecting the economy and what you need to know from a health perspective about coronavirus. This is the Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.